Welcome to We Have This Hope. My name is Emily Curzon. This is a podcast about the study of scripture, the art of remembering, and the practice of telling. On the show, we'll explore the ways God calls his people to remember by studying scripture together, and we'll hear individual stories of hope anchored in the beautiful and ancient practice of remembering. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, friends. I'm so happy to be recording this episode. I have taken a week off because life has been crazy and busy, and I have stayed up editing this episode for you because I just couldn't stop. I was going to spend a few minutes on it, and I just couldn't find a good stopping place because it was just all rich and good. So today's remembering interview is with Sarah Hauser. And Sarah is a writer and a speaker who lives with her husband and four kiddos, including twins, in the suburbs of Chicago. She writes and speaks about all kinds of interesting topics. She's a former food blogger turned writer. She talks about mental health, motherhood, grief, creativity, and you're going to love what she has to say. Today, we're talking about her story with grief and depression And we're going to talk about our new book that's been out for a little while. I had the privilege of reading it over the summer, and it's called All Who Are Weary, Finding True Rest by Letting Go of the Burdens You Were Never Meant to Carry. I hope you will tune in, go on a long walk, fold some laundry, whatever you do while you listen to podcasts, and enjoy my conversation today with Sarah Hauser. Sarah, welcome to We Have This Hope. I'm so glad that you're here today. Thanks so much for having me. I've been daydreaming about having you on the podcast (laughs) since the summer. I started reading your book over the summer and I thought, oh, I really like her. I wonder what else she's up to. And I was too scared to email you. (laughs) (laughs) Just to like, you know, you got to kind of like muster up the courage to ask someone you don't know. So um, all that to say, it's really fun for me to get to sit down with you and actually see your face, even though people listening to the podcast are not seeing it right now. (laughs) You really have such a gift for with words. Your book is called All Who Are Weary. Finding True Rest from the Burdens You Were Never Meant to Carry. And we're going to talk more about it today, but I just love how you really paint a picture. When I was reading parts of it, I was entering into a scene. And then mm-hmm. you you do a beautiful job of weaving context into that, like broader context. Mm-hmm. What does this really mean for the world, for God's kingdom? all of that. Thank you. Thank so you. glad you're here. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It really is fun to get to connect uh, with people. Yeah, like all over the country, all over the world. It's really an honor. Yeah. And you are in the Midwest-ish too, right? Where are you? So I'm about um, 45 minutes to an hour west of Chicago. So if you're in the city and you drive straight west until you hit some cornfields, <laughs> we're sort of the last, <laughs> one of the last suburbs you can still call a suburb. But yeah, okay. we're, we're outside Chicago. When you live outside a city like Chicago, do you ever actually go to the city? You know, it goes in fits and spurts because we've got four young kids. And so, Mm. you know, getting downtown is a little bit more challenging just with with all of that. Uh, I used to live in the city. And then when we were first married, we lived kind of in the next town over and still where the, you know, the, the train still came, the L still came. 
you know, the bus service, all that. So we did spend a lot of time downtown. Of course, then I used to work in the city. But in in sort of this season of life, it is a little bit of the other side of the world. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. do love Chicago, but you know, it's so much of our life now is is further out. And so we don't get downtown quite as much as I'd like to, but it is such a great city. So Sarah, I'm just curious, and I think people like to know, what does your regular life look like? Like, what do you, tell us who you do life with, and then what does a normal day look like for you? Yeah, so, you know, it's very glamorous, let me tell you. (laughs) Hardly. (laughs) Uh No, but we, uh, I'm very thankful. I've got four kids, so eight and a half year old twins, a six year old, and then a almost two year old. And so kind of during the school year, the three are in school, the older three. And so that's a big difference from what our normal life looks like in the summer. (laughs) But three are in school. And then I've got my toddler home with me. So, you know, this morning, it was reading lots of books and playing with magnetiles and trying to cook some things and clean the kitchen, you know, just very all the kind of normal mundane things. And then when he naps, I do things like this. So I I try to do some writing and speaking and other kinds of work sort of in the margins of that. You know, the nice part of that is it can go a little bit in fits and spurts, depending on what my family can take on in a particular season. So I do really love uh, doing podcast interviews. I love speaking uh, in person at churches and things like that. And so that's just something that I, I, I'm passionate about. But in this particular season, that's kind of that kind of gets fit in around the rest of our family life, which I'm very thankful to be able to do. So I'm yeah. mostly mostly home with my kiddos and then and then doing some writing and speaking around around the sides of that. <laughs> yeah, well, you do it well, you make it look easy. And <laughs> when I was prepping for this and looking at some of your essays and other content that you do for like coffee and crumbs mm-hmm. and you know, the fact that you published a book this year. <laughs> it, it, well, I will tell you, if I make it look easy, it was not, it was not easy, but I'm, you know, my husband has a, a relatively flexible job. He works regular hours, but he's got some flexibility. And so that, that makes mm-hmm. a big difference too, in, in my ability to do some of this work. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. We've got a lot of good help. We've got family in the area. And so you know, anything that actually looks easy, it's it's only because by the grace of God, we've got we've got other people. So I don't do it all. You hear like the I don't know how she does it all. I don't do it all. We've, yeah. we've got help. And especially when I was writing the book, we had we had a lot more help and I had to call in more help than I do in this season. So God is good to provide what we need. But every season definitely looks a little bit different depending on what's on what's on our family's plate and what's on my own on my own writing and speaking plate. It's probably really good to think about it that way, like for other moms who might be listening, thinking, how do you do all of that? But to think of it as seasonal, that Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to go at the same pace all the time. Yeah. And yeah, I feel like I'm, I mean, I am living that this week, think like with fall break kind of on the horizon and thinking we need a rhythm disruption at yeah. our house. We need, yeah. we need a break from this pace. Absolutely. It's it's so seasonal. And, I, you know, when I finished the book, I, I told my husband, I said, I recognize that this, what we've been doing for the last year is not sustainable for the long haul. And mm-hmm. so I, I did, I've had to pull back quite a bit from some of my own work stuff. But again, that's seasonal. And then, you know, yeah. there'll come another time where I can kind of dive in a little bit more all hands on deck. And, and then there'll be times where I have to pull back again. So the Lord, the Lord knows. <laughs> yes. Okay. So you are a writer and a speaker and you 
it looks like you are an amazing cook. And <laughs> I always want to know when I see other women out there doing these kinds of work that being entrepreneurial and being creative, I'm just curious how you landed there. Like what's your professional background? How did you get yeah. to calling yourself a writer? Yeah, so I have always loved to write, but I actually started out, so my background is sort of in the nonprofit world. I graduated with a degree in biblical studies and Christian education, and then I continued for my master's in intercultural studies. And then I worked for a number of years, pre-kids, with a couple different nonprofit organizations. So that's kind of my background is working with Christian nonprofits in various capacities. And I loved that work, but then I got pregnant with twins and I wanted to stay home with my twins. But also, you know, I really loved my job at the time. I absolutely loved it. But my job at the time involved a lot of travel, which was just not feasible for us. And also I worked in the nonprofit world and it would have actually cost me money to go back to work. So, Uh you know, again, the Lord knew, you know, I needed to stay home, which was which was fine. So I stayed home with my twins and then kind of during that time and even a little bit before that, I started blogging back in the blogging days of, you know, the 2010s. I, (laughs) yeah, had a a blog that I just, you know, was for fun. And I did that with a friend. And then when I had my kids, I started to write a little bit more about motherhood. And, but that, what I really was starting with was writing about food. And I kind of started out as a food blogger, not in a professional Mm -hmm. capacity at all. It was really a hobby. Uh, But I started by writing recipes and I started uh, learning a little bit of food photography. Again, I'm still amateur at all of that, uh, not in any professional capacity. But that's if you go back to like the early iterations of my blog and actually I had another blog before that that's no longer in existence. But uh, (laughs) it's all just recipes and stuff. But during that time that I had started that, I was working for a hunger relief organization And I had sort of this weird dissonance where I was like, oh, I'm when I'm off work, I'm playing around in the kitchen with all these recipes. I'm going and buying these fun ingredients. And then in my day job, I'm teaching people about severe malnutrition and starvation around the world. Like, Mm -hmm. is this okay? (laughs) And I had sort of this spiritual, like, just just reckoning, like, what is the value of my creative work? Is there value in my creative work? Is there value in playing around with food and doing this creative stuff? Because like these two things are so opposite from each other, where mm. I'm, I'm literally spending my days trying to feed children who have no food and that here I am playing around with a baking recipe in my kitchen, you know, does that fit together? Is that okay? And so I ended up kind of going on a deep dive into scripture and into just ha- what scripture says about food and about creativity and beauty and all of those things. And that was just a really rich season for me of diving into scripture and just seeing how God can use beauty and art and creativity and all those things for his glory and how that really does just allow us to live out the new creation life here even Mm -hmm. in the midst of the groaning of our current world. And so through that whole process, I started writing about that a little bit more. I was still sharing recipes, but I was writing just a little bit more of what I was learning and what the Lord was teaching me. And then that kind of continued to broaden as I started to write more about faith in general. I started to write about things related to motherhood and all kinds of stuff. And so that has, you know, kind of taken me on a 
a winding path along the way. But uh, now I, I still write about food and stuff. It's, I still love that. I have some projects I want to do down the road uh, related to food and sort of a theology of food. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I definitely write more broadly about kind of all things faith and really with with the goal of diving into scripture and really seeing what scripture says about particular topics. Mm, I love that. I love that. One of my best friends is a fashion blogger. And oh, she's fun. fantastic at it. And she, like you, is like, one of the OGs in mm-hmm. terms of like blogger world. And, you know, now it's all on Instagram and reels right. and things like that. But I know that she'll probably listen to this episode, but we've had conversations about like, is this creative work that I love doing mm-hmm. and I'm good at, like, mm-hmm. does this have value in the kingdom of God? And I love the way you, you first of all, went like straight to scripture to say like, okay, God, what does your word have to say about this? But then landed on art and beauty and what it means to bring those things into the world. Anyway, it's really beautiful. Good. And you're, the food looks good. Too. <laughs> well, thank I, you. I, I uh, hope, you know, it's funny. I, I actually today made a recipe that I created years ago and I was like, oh, I actually need to make some tweaks to that. So, you know, oh, I, nice. I do, yeah. I, I do love doing the recipes, but it's always a work in progress. Okay. So tell me a little bit then about how did you go from writing to then speaking, because I find that those are similar skill sets, but they also require a different approach and a different energy, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times people will say, like writers and speakers, they'll say, are you a writer who speaks or a speaker who writes? Uh, I am definitely Mm -hmm. a writer who speaks. And that's kind of how those things have birthed. I always loved kind of teaching and listening to, to good speakers and all that kind of stuff. My dad did a lot of Bible teaching. He he was a businessman all his life, but during that time at our church, he's, he taught a adult Sunday school class for, I don't know, 30 years, 40 years. And then he retired and went full-time as a pastor on, on that staff. So I kind of grew up around that Bible teaching a lot. But I, when I was a kid, I was petrified of public speaking. I would stand up there and cry. I remember fifth grade having to give an oral report and I like just got up in the front and just started bawling and I would get so nervous. So that was not something that I was comfortable with as a kid, but I really became a little bit more passionate about some of that speaking. When I was working in the nonprofit world, I had to do some of that with volunteers. I worked a lot with volunteers and giving presentations and things like that. And so back in like January 2020, kind of right before COVID, I really started to just pray about where the Lord was maybe leading next. And I was like, I think, I wonder if I want to like try to do some more speaking. And I had done a little bit at my own church and stuff. So I I had a little bit of experience, but I started to pray about, you know, what that might look like to take like more intentional steps forward. And then a couple of days later, an old friend of mine emailed me and she was like, hey, I've been following, you know, your newsletter and stuff like that. Do you ever do any speaking? And I was like, that's really Ooh. weird. <laughs> so, but then COVID hit. And so nobody was speaking in person. Yeah. Nobody was doing anything. And so I was like, okay, Lord, what does this look like? But I spent that time then just learning a lot and saying, okay, you know, when the world kind of opens back up, I want to be a little bit prepared. I want to start learning some things. I want to start just honing my skills a little bit. And that particular friend, her and her husband, he's a pastor at a church about an hour from me. And honestly, they really took a chance on me and they invited me to come speak at their church, uh, which Mm -hmm. was such 
a gift I had, again, only spoken a handful of times and they invited me to give like a full 40 minute message. They had never heard me speak before. They did not know what they <laughs> wow. were getting into. And that's been, that was a huge affirmation to me. And just, they've continued to go out a limb for me. I, I actually speak at their church several times a year. And wow. that's been a really huge gift because that has, uh, that has really encouraged me to continue to step forward in that. And I've learned that I absolutely love it. I love being able to write and study and work on a message and then be able to be face to face with people, you know, and be able Mm -hmm. to pray with people after and be able to actually hear pieces of somebody's story uh, in person. I just, I absolutely love that piece of it. But so much of that is just really the Lord, um, encouraging me to do some work and learn some things, but also people who have taken a chance on me uh, to <laughs> to invite me to come speak when uh, I was very new at it at the time. And so um, that's that's really been a gift to me. Cool. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your family and motherhood. Part of this podcast, as I mentioned kind of in the pre-call, is looking backward to look forward, mm-hmm. remembering what seasons of our life and what God has done and how that has led us to where we are now. So now as a speaker and a writer, I want to start looking backward a little bit into your story. So will you talk a little bit about motherhood, mm-hmm. how you became a mom? You are a fellow twin mom. Mm-hmm. Whoop, whoop. Um, <laughs> what was that like and how did you think and feel at the time? Yeah. So it's, Funny. So I, I prayed for twins. I don't know what your response was, but I actually, from the time I found out I was pregnant, you know, from a home pregnancy test to a couple of weeks later when I actually went to the doctor, I was actually praying for twins and I have it in my journal to prove it. So wow. it was just really fun. It was still shocking. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we were still deer in the headlights, like what mm-hmm. in the world? We didn't have kids until, let's see, we were married, I don't know, five or six years and then, and then had kids. And then The one thing that really kind of rocked me was I had always had a very clear understanding of working in the nonprofit world and what I did for a living. I always had a very clear like, this is making this difference. And part Mm -hmm. of my job was, you know, I worked some of the time in volunteer training, some of the time in fund development. And so I that was part of my job was actually to to look at, hey, how is what we're doing making a difference? And so I had very clear tangible ways that my work was making a difference in the world. And in motherhood, that even though I knew that motherhood on a broad scale, of course, is making a difference, right? Like, like motherhood it, as a as a big entity is it, it's so meaningful and so such a powerful thing. But on a day to day basis, the changing the diapers, the, you know, picking up Cheerios, the trying to get somebody down for a nap, just all that monotony was Mm -hmm. really hard for me to understand how does my day-to-day work actually matter. And I had a little bit of an identity crisis (laughs) after my first pregnancy where I had the the twins for quite a while, just like, I don't, like, what am I doing? You know, like, I, it's like, I know in my head I'm doing a good thing, but on a day-to-day basis, I am kind of feeling restless and like bored and does this actually matter and you know all of that kind of stuff and so there was a lot of wrestling through what it means that our work does matter and what Mm -hmm. does it mean that you know our labor in the lord is not in vain Mm -hmm. whatever that labor looks like and even if people aren't seeing what i'm doing on a on a daily basis 
that doesn't make my work any less meaningful or worthwhile. And so there was a lot of wrestling through that after having my twins. Mm -hmm. And then after having my third, the, the other big thing that came up was a lot of postpartum. I had some postpartum anxiety and then some depression that followed that. And so mm -hmm. that was a whole nother season of, of wrestling and just struggling through what it means to, to cling to God in those times and to also parent my kids and, and to wrestle through some of my own mental health issues in the midst of that. It's been a it's been a bit of a roller coaster, as I know, you know, probably every mom in the world can can understand. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, any woman who's listening that's had a baby is nodding her head yeah. and with some degree of empathy. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I love how you so honestly talk about your experience of anxiety and depression, and you do a beautiful job in the book of talking about that with some with well, experience some clinical knowledge and expertise. I'm actually, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. So okay. I love how you blended that in the end of your book, you have this section interview with a therapist and just giving some like real world context. Mm -hmm. But I'm wondering for you, Sarah, when you were experiencing that and starting to think like what's going on inside of me, what context did you have for mental health in your life? Was it something you... Yeah your family talked about? Was it something that wasn't acknowledged? And what impact did that have on you and how you got care? Yeah, so that's a great question. I, it's not something we talked about much growing up. You know, looking back, I can maybe see some things that probably would have been helpful to talk about. I grew up in a, in a healthy Christian home, but at the same time, 30 years ago, that's not like you weren't talking about mental health on a day-to-day -day basis, you mm -hmm. know, and and my husband and I had actually been in, doing some counseling for a number of years just with our marriage and, and just wrestling through some of our own stuff. And I was not experiencing anxiety or depression when we were doing that, but just kind of wrestling through some normal life stuff. And so I had also done some counseling in college. And so I had some familiarity <laughs> with, with, the, just the idea of getting some help and getting some help from professionals. And so there was that context. And then, but when I actually struggled with more of the physiological side of what was going on in my body postpartum and, and even, even kind of beyond that postpartum season when the depression really kicked in, uh, that was kind of a different beast for me. But at the same time, I had enough people in my life who had been open and vulnerable with their own struggle that mm. I had some people that I could talk to. And so the other reality is I still had a counselor, you know, so we called her up and I, I went back to counseling and, you know, that was that was an incredibly helpful piece. And it wasn't quite as scary to do because I already had a counselor. So that, that mm -hmm. definitely made it easier. But really having people in my life who were vulnerable first to share pieces of their story really helped me understand that I wasn't alone, that that I was not the only one struggling with this, that like, I'm not going crazy, even though like, I feel like I, I in a sense, I kind of am going crazy, but but I was not alone in that. And, and to kind of normalize some of what was going on, but at the same time, know that I don't have to just, you know, grin, grit my teeth and bear it. Mm -hmm. I can actually get some help. You know, when you were talking about food, you talked about sort of wrestling with this thing that you love or this reality in your life and then turning to scripture to see what God's word had to say about it. Did you do that when you were in the midst of anxiety and depression or maybe, and I know it's difficult to do when you're walking through those seasons or have you 
when you've been in healthier seasons or spaces, been able to take that back to scripture and say, what context do I find in scripture for mental health, for anxiety, for depression? Yeah. So there was a lot of wrestling during that time. And I remember at one point, I wasn't yelling at my husband in the sense that he was doing something wrong, but I was just yelling sort of to my husband. I remember one time yelling to him and just like, I'm doing, I'm doing the right things. I'm praying, I'm reading scripture. And I was just, I was in this season where I was so frustrated because I was still struggling with this so deeply, but I was doing the quote, Christian right things. Of course, mm-hmm. there's always things I could have done better, but, but in general, I didn't walk away from reading scripture. I was in it even more and I was still struggling. And that was really, really hard. And Mm -hmm. that forced me uh, to really look at a lot of the passages about lament in scripture Mm -hmm. and to really wrestle with uh, a lot of the Psalms, which were so helpful. And I love the book of Habakkuk, which is just this wrestling with God, you know, where Habakkuk doesn't get any answers in the end, but he still comes to this place of praise. But it's this real wrestling match between him and God about his questions in the midst of his grief and the injustice that's happening in the world around him. And so many of those passages were such a comfort to me, but they didn't actually give me any answers. Mm. And so there was this real wrestling match with that. But at the same time, I had to cling to those things and to cling to the fact that, okay, I, I know that God is, is still there. I know that God is still good, but it doesn't feel like that right now. And I, I don't feel loved. I don't feel worthwhile. I don't feel all of these different things. And through all of that, as, as, as well as getting into scripture, I, I really did have to get external help. I had to get back into counseling. And because there were so many times where I kind of couldn't, couldn't think straight in a sense where I, I was believing lies about who I was and who God made me to be and the work that he made me to do. And I had to have other people really speaking truth into me. And frankly, I also had to go on medication. And that was the other piece of it. And and I wrestled with that. You know, I, I would not have ever faulted anybody else for making that decision. But when I made it, I felt like I failed because I felt like I couldn't get it together enough. And I had to go finally take this step of going on medication. And I felt like just this resigned feeling of I, I can't do this. But at the same time, that was so freeing because even though I wrestled with those feelings of failure, it also left me saying, okay, like I can't do this on my own and I don't have to. Mm-hmm. And I talk a, a lot of the book, one of the chapters I'm so passionate about is is this chapter on self-sufficiency and how we, we laud that mm-hmm. as such a, a good thing. But in reality, it can really become a burden. And for me, I, I really wanted to be self-sufficient. But what God really needed to show me is that I was dependent on him. And I was also dependent on others. And and that was a really good and beautiful thing that he's, again, continuing to teach me. Oh, I love how you said that, that you were dependent on him and dependent on others. Mm-hmm. Because I think in our sort of individualistic society, even when we can say as believers, like, mm-hmm. I know I need to depend on God, but I think it's really easy to like take the community piece off the table and say, mm-hmm. but I, I don't need other people. It's just, this is between me in my relationship with God. Right. Yeah, but we do need community. We we ha- and and that's part of how God I think designed his family, his kingdom to operate is in the context of doing life together. So 
And I love that you had other people whose vulnerability created space for you to be honest with yours. Yeah. That's what you're doing now with your work and your writing. There are going to be people who read that and think, oh, okay, there's space for me to seek help and Mm -hmm. to meet God at the bottom. Yeah. And so many times God promises that he will help us. You know, Psalm 121, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And the reality, too, is that so many times the way that God helps us is through other people. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we forget that because maybe we are seeking the Lord and his help. And then he's offering his help through other people, either through through people actually coming around us or even through the resources that people have created because he had made people very smart and very mm-hmm. intelligent and through through things like medication for me. And that is still, if it is done, you know, like rightly, of course, there's ways to abuse all of that. But but that can be a source of help that God offers to us. And I think sometimes we can forget that that for whatever reason, God chooses to use people to be help to other people. Mm-hmm. This is making me think this morning I was reading in like a children's Bible with my daughter. The And it had like this picture of when Jesus heals the man who his friends lower him down through the mm-hmm. roof. Yeah. And... She wanted to see a picture of it. So it mm-hmm. had this really beautiful illustration. And I was thinking in my own story, there was a moment when I was walking in grief after my sister died where I felt like that man, like mm-hmm. that I could not put myself in a position to talk to God about what had happened in my life. Right. But there were people around me that like that they put me at the feet of Jesus, that they... Yeah. Or I've, yeah. I've said it before, like they remembered for me and that's really part of what helped me get yeah. back up. So. Yeah, exactly. So this is a natural time then to ask you to tell a little bit about your story with loss and grief. And mm-hmm. you share about that in a beautiful essay where you share about losing your mom to cancer and you talk about it in the book and build that into a lot of the chapters. So would you tell us your story looking backward and remembering your experience with loss and grief? Yeah. So my mom passed away 10 years ago, February of 2013 from pancreatic cancer. And she had been diagnosed. It was about a little over two years since she was diagnosed when she finally passed away, which is a very long time actually for pancreatic cancer. But she was diagnosed in 2010, and it was actually uh, Christmas of 2010. So my husband and I were in Illinois kind of celebrating with my in-laws a little bit early. And then we had originally planned to fly to New Jersey, where the rest of my family was, on Christmas Eve and then spend Christmas with my family. And I got a call, I think it was December 23rd, from from my mom. And it was kind of like one of those calls. And I knew immediately something was wrong. And she said, you know, she had become very jaundiced. She was, I mean, she was completely yellow Mm -hmm. and they were admitting her to the hospital and she was going to have surgery. So we flew home December 24th and she was admitted to the hospital. And then the morning of December 25th, she had a surgery for pancreatic cancer and it was confirmed that it was actually cancer and, and 
we were, I mean, super thankful, even just the timing of it. There were so many ways that the Lord's hand was in that because getting a surgeon to do surgery on Christmas day is not an easy thing. So the only, one of the only people that was available was this Buddhist doctor who wasn't celebrating Christmas. Well, it turns out he's one of the best in like the world uh, who, you know, who did that particular surgery and just the (laughs) Lord even provided through that. But yeah, Christmas day, it was my husband and my first Christmas together. And we were mm-hmm. in the waiting room of the hospital. And so that was just a really challenging season, to say the least. But we didn't have kids at the time. And I was actually the only one of my siblings who didn't have kids. And so kind of through that season, I did a lot of traveling back and forth to New Jersey and from Illinois just to kind of help out and help take care of take care of my, my mom. But six months later, after my mom was diagnosed, she had gone through a very intense season of chemo and and all of that and then about six months later my dad was diagnosed with cancer and so they he had a much more treatable kind he had multiple myeloma he's still living and he's he's doing well from that but I just remember getting that call and just throwing my hands up and I'm like okay like what the heck you know (laughs) like what is going on and there had been some other things in our family going on at the same time that were challenging and and yeah, so it, my parents were just, I mean, they were actually, they went to the same oncologist. They booked back-to-back joint appointments together at the oncologist. I remember sitting there. I went to an appointment with them one time, and the oncologist worked with my mom and then worked with my dad. And it was just a very surreal, weird season mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where we, we walked through all that. Thankfully, we were all adults and out of the house, and so they weren't having to navigate, you know, caring for young kids and all of that kind of stuff. But it was I really wrestled a lot with that because it my mom's diagnosis was very sudden she was it was like she was healthy one week and then a week or two later she wasn't you know it was it Mm -hmm. felt very sudden and so so they walked through that they had you know varying treatments and uh, my mom there was a season where she was doing relatively well she was kind of functional and by the grace of god she was because that was also the season that my dad went through some of his most intense treatments. So it was kind of this back and forth between the two of them. And and then eventually my mom's treatments, they they stopped treatments because the, the prognosis was not good and the treatments were just making her sicker than, than the cancer was. And so she went into home hospice care, I think late summer, I think of 2012, if I'm remembering correctly. And then that season, she just gradually declined and then passed away in February of of 2013. And that season taught me a lot. And one of the things that it, it really forced me to reckon with was, do I actually believe the resurrection is true? Yeah. Because if that's not true all is lost. Mm -hmm. But if it is true, that changes everything. I grew up in the church. I knew that I've been going to Easter services since in the womb. And so it's like I knew that in my head, but there is a different reckoning with that that happens when you are looking at death. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so many people around the world and even around me ha- have faced that much more frequently than I have. You know, I think of even people that are in medical professions. They look at death all the time. My sister-in-law's parents are funeral directors. So they reckoned with just some of these kind of theological issues in a very real and practical way. I had not. You know, that was not mm-hmm. something that I had to reckon with on a regular basis. 
And and so when my mom died, she died at home. We were all around her. I watched her. And mm. and then people came and, and carried her body out the front door. Mm. And I I remember them carrying her body out in a black bag out, out our childhood home front door and thinking there's no freaking way that that is going to come back to life. There's no way. You know, and it's like, I knew that it would, but what I was seeing didn't line up with what I had believed for 20 some years. Mm -hmm. And there was a, a real wrestling with God, but at the same time coming through that wrestling and being able to say the resurrection is true and that mm -hmm. changes everything. You know, I, I love, there's a quote from um, Esau Macaulay, who's a New Testament scholar, and he says, Christians at their best are the fools who dare believe in God's power to call dead things to life. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at death, it sounds like such a crazy belief, and it is. Mm -hmm. But the resurrection is true, and, and that doesn't just impact the reality that I believe I will see my mom again someday. That It's not just that, but it's it's actually that God is is doing a work in the world that we cannot fathom. And so mm -hmm. even as we record, you know, there's just horrific tragedies going on in the world. And and I have to believe, even while we lament and, and hold on to the grief that we see, that God is actually still working. And that, you know, another theologian I love, he talks about how the, the worst thing in history has already happened. You know, mm -hmm. Jesus died. Like the son of God was nailed to a cross and that is the worst thing that could have happened. And yet that's not how the story ended, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if God can do that, if God can raise the dead, if, if God can roll that stone away, like he can actually raise my mom. He can bring dead things to life. He can mm -hmm. resurrect so much of the brokenness that we see around the world. And, and there is just a, such a freeing hope to that. And a freeing hope that also allows us to fully grieve and lament. Yes. You know, because I think sometimes we, uh, sometimes people want to, they want to move past their grief really quickly, I think. And mm -hmm. that's my temptation too. You want to put a bow on it. Mm -hmm. And it, it's so uncomfortable, right, to sit in our grief or to watch somebody else sit in their grief and to sit alongside them in their grief. And so we want to offer like, oh, but but God, God's, you know, doing all things together for good. Okay, yes, that's true. But the reality is that because of the hope that we have, we can actually look our grief and our lament and injustice head on. Like we don't mm -hmm. have to slide it under the rug. We don't have to hide it. We don't have to sugarcoat it. Like there's no sugarcoating necessary because as heavy as it is, God will still restore and raise and heal and wipe every tear in the end. Mm -hmm. I love everything that you said about that. I think that when you walk through meeting death in the face, you sort of feel like you join a club. Like, mm -hmm. like oh, now I'm in this club that I didn't ever want to be in. It's the mm -hmm. worst club ever, but I can never go back to not knowing what I know now. You say this in your book, in your chapter on despair, you say grief forces you to ask if your hope is real and if it's worth holding on to. Mm -hmm. I love how you said that and how if the resurrection is not true, what are we doing? If it is true, what are we doing? Like mm -hmm. what is God up to? 
it makes me think of the the now we see dimly yeah. as if in a mirror, but we will see face to face. This will make sense. Or as the storybook, the Jesus storybook Bible says, all the sad things will come untrue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I would love to know then how these stories led you to writing this book, All Who Are Weary. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's from the passage in Matthew. Will you tell us the origin story of All Who Are Weary? Yeah, so this was not the book I was planning to write. I was actually in the process of writing a completely different book proposal and for a totally different topic and had uh, gone pretty far down the process for that, but then the Lord just closed some doors. And and then that was in about 2018. And so that was kind of right around the season I really started to struggle with some depression. And mm-hmm. so I started to, again, go back to counseling and work through some of those those issues and in the midst of that, I started to write more about that. And and I, I wasn't exactly writing publicly about those things like while I was, you know, I, I'm not somebody who writes publicly in real time, you know, so if you mm-hmm. see me post something, it's, that's usually like, I, I am an introvert, I have to process <laughs> silently and quietly, but I was slowly writing through some of those things. And then as I started to sort of come out of that dark season, I did start to share a little bit more publicly about uh, topics like lament and grief and, and all of those things. And then again, COVID hit and and suddenly the world was sort of just needing more of that kind of stuff. We were talking more openly, I think, as a as a Christian culture about things like grief and lament and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And while I was in counseling, some of my homework was to write down lies that I was believing about myself and about God and about who I was, and then to to write down truth that kind of combat those lies. And so I have a little notebook piece of paper that was stuck in my Bible. And just every time, you know, things would come into my brain that I was believing, you know, just things like my kids would be better off without me or my work doesn't matter or just all of these things that I was believing. Some of them kind of mundane, some of them very, very dark. I I wrote them all down. And and then as I started to, again, write a little bit more and, and process, I started to see that a lot of people were, were resonating with just some of what I was sharing. And I kind of kept coming back to that list of lies and truth. And I was sort of, again, because during the season of, of depression, I was not able to sort of think <laughs> straight. Mm-hmm. But as I was coming out of that, I... I started to realize, okay, wow, there's actually some kind of different categories here for for some of these lies that I'm believing. It's a lot of the self-condemnation or insecurity or different things. And then I just started to kind of pray through that. And I had some other book ideas that weren't going anywhere. And I had a writing mentor who I was talking to one time. And I said, I don't know, like, I don't know what I'm doing. I kind of feel like I'm in no man's land with my writing. I had these book ideas. They're not going anywhere. I don't know what's next. And she said, what you need to do is you need to take every day for the next 30 days and you need to pray about it. And so that's what I did. And at the end of 30 days, I had no clarity. <laughs> you know, like I, <laughs> Thank I, you for saying that. Yes. So I was sort of hoping for like this magic, you know, at the end of 30 days, God will like open the heavens and reveal to me exactly what I should be doing. And that none of that happened. However, I did actually start to get more clarity, but on a much more gradual scale. And Mm -hmm. so I started to think through that and I started to realize, oh, I think some of these things I'm struggling with, I think these are actually like chapters. And Mm -hmm. so long story short, the Lord just honestly opened up some doors for me to actually get the work done. And at the time, that was like May of 2020. 
And so all my kids were home. My oldest were supposed to go to kindergarten in the fall, but of course that was all up in the air. And so we decided to homeschool my twins for kindergarten just because I was home anyway and they were going to be mm-hmm. online school for kindergarten. Yeah. And and I was like, okay, Lord, like our life has changed. I thought I was going to have a little bit more respite with the twins in school. That's not happening. So if you want me to write this book, you're going to have to make it happen. And the next day, my sister-in-law called me and she said, hey, I was, this was the summer now. And she's like, I was just thinking like, can I take the kids, you know, all day for you tomorrow, like nine to five. And I was like, what? <laughs> You know, and she does hang out with the kids a lot. They were kind of in our little, you know, COVID bubble or whatever. But so she took the kids all day. And so then the next day I was like, okay, I'm actually going to think about this book. And I, the next day I I basically had a, I put big poster sheets on my office walls and I started to write down all of these lies and all the truth and started to categorize things. And by the end of the day, I had an outline Mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, Lord, this is interesting. (laughs) And so there were so many reasons why writing a book at that time was really in many ways dumb, <laughs> you know, from a worldly standard, like my kids were home. And then I got the book deal. And, and as I was working on it, I got pregnant. And so, <laughs> so that was the other piece of it. Like I ended up having a baby halfway through the manuscript being due. And oh, so wow. I was having interviews with potential publishers. And I was like, by the way, like I'm pregnant. And so I'm going to need a longer time, you know, and just the Lord knew. And like, even God knew that I needed to write a book on weariness while having a newborn, which was not easy. And I don't recommend that. But at the same time, (laughs) it, it forced me to lean on the truths that he was teaching me in a new season, in a new way. And to really reckon with what I was saying in my book, in my own life, when I was very tired and very weary in, in a different way than, than I had been a couple of years before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's no weary like mom weary. So yeah. way yeah. to practice what you preach. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it was not by choice. You know, the, the baby thing, we're so thankful for baby number four, but he was a surprise. And, you know, I was not planning on writing a book and having a baby at the same time, but God used that too. Yes. Well, the way that the book is outlined is really beautiful. And and I will link it in the show notes and when we post about the episode, but each chapter talks about one of the different lies. And then you do a beautiful job of blending your own story and then scripture in there. And I love how you do that. Sarah, it's an excellent book. It's a really excellent book. So what do you hope for when you dream about your future work? Oh, that's a great question. I want to just continue to dive into scripture. I am finding Mm -hmm. that that is something that just really lights me up. And I do also find that I understand scripture better when I then have to teach it in some capacity, Mm -hmm. whether through writing or speaking. Mm -hmm. And so that's just been such a good and powerful challenge for me. And so I, I would love to just continue to be able to share what God is teaching me. I want to be able to continue to write and speak in some capacity. I don't know what that, you know, what that looks like in different seasons. Only God knows, but I'm really passionate about going back to God's word and and understanding what scripture is saying and then also just really understanding how it relates to the nitty-gritty details of our lives because mm-hmm. I think it it really does and understanding the the broad picture of scripture too and how even different passages connect to each other and connect to what God is doing in the world. That's just something that has really impacted me over the course of my life. And I I love sharing that with others. So, Mm. you know, on a specific scale, I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I I do know that I I just absolutely love being able to write and speak about about that and, and just sharing sort of rich scripture with 
honest stories. And so that's, Mm. that's what I love to do. I love that rich scriptures with honest stories. That's good. That's good. Okay. As we wrap up, I want to ask you what you're cooking for dinner tonight. And I just thought of this question because I need some fall recipe inspiration. (sighs) So what should I make for dinner tonight? Maybe that's the question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so about an hour ago, I was thinking about this question and I was like, oh, I've got frozen pizza in the freezer. Maybe I'll just do that. Yeah, I have that too. Yeah. Um, but if I do cook, it's like a rainy fall day. So I think mm. I'm going to go the soup route, which sometimes my kids are a hit or miss, but they're going to have to eat it anyway. But I think we'll we'll try some soup, but I don't know what kind. I kind of have to do some inventory on, on my fridge and my pantry and mm-hmm, see what mm-hmm. we have. But I... Can you make it up? Are you someone who can like look at the pantry and be like, oh, okay, I'll put this, 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 and this together. And here's sometimes I can. I mean, I would never do that if I'm serving somebody outside of my family because I'm not that good. (laughs) I can sometimes make things up. Soups are easier to make up because you can just keep adding stuff. Like if it's, if it doesn't turn out right, you just like keep adding something else until it does. (laughs) So I've had to sometimes get a bigger pot because I'm like, oh, I got (laughs) to add more of something and there's not room in the pot. So that I can do with soups. I can't do that with things like baking and, you know, things that have to be a little more exact. I'm not good with that, but I think we're going to go the, you know, soup, salad and bread route tonight, probably. So I don't know what kind though. We'll see. (laughs) Sounds delish. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your story, doing it vulnerably and honestly. I think it's going to encourage and equip people to do the same, to thank share you. their gifts and their creative work in a vulnerable and real way. So thanks thank for you here. so much. I really, really appreciate it. If you are interested in more of Sarah's work, if you want to order her book, if you want to follow her on Instagram, or you want to sign up for her really great newsletter, I will link all of that in the show notes. But a good starting place is always at sarah.j.hauser on Instagram or her website, sarahjhauser.com. Again, all of that will be linked. And I hope you'll tune in next week. We're going to pick back up with the Spaces series we've been doing this fall, looking at how God meets us in our physical context. I hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.